0: Friends, welcome to Read 'em and Weep. It's me, your host Sammy, and I have a kind of meat and potatoes type episode for you guys today. I also have a special announcement. I'm going to make that at the end of the podcast after the hand, so stay tuned for that if you're interested. But I wanted to put it at the end because I don't like pussyfooting around. So let's not do it. Let's get into some hands. All of the hands on today's podcast come from the private game that I've been playing a lot lately. The stakes in this session are 5, 10, 20. So, hand one comes very early in the session. It was like the first or second orbit, something like that. And at this point, we hadn't technically converted it to a 5, 10, 20. We were playing 5, 5, 10 with a $20 straddle. So, it's like six or seven handed, and there's four blinds, which is kind of insane. So, later we ended up just making it a, a 5, 10, 20. But in this hand, there's four blinds 5, 5, 10, 20. It folds to me in the second blind the $5 blind, and I look down at pocket aces with the ace of diamonds. We fucking love that. Obviously I'm raising, uh, I open to 4x because I know that if I get called, you know, I'm going to be out of position, so I want to raise a little bit larger. I go to 80 and only the straddle defense. And the straddle is a very good player. He's tough, he's aggressive, he's smart. And so we're going to do some battle in this hand. Uh, Makes it a little easier having pocket aces. So the flop comes Six six five with two diamonds, and I have pocket aces with the ace of diamonds. So six six five, two diamonds. I have pocket aces with the ace of diamonds, and I think that it's pretty standard here to bet. However, against really tough players, you know, I, I kind of want to keep my ranges balanced. And so on a board like this, it's not necessarily just a range bet. I don't think I haven't like run it through a solve or anything. But you know, the the reality is that he's going to have a decent amount more hands that interact with this board, I think. He's going to have more fives in his hand than I will, uh, offset by the fact that I'm going to have more overpairs. He's going to have more seven, eight, because I'm not going to open the offsuit versions of those, but he will likely be defending them. And then he's got way more six X than I have, right? It's six, six, five. So he's going to have hands like 7-6 offsuit, and 8-6 offsuit, and ace-6 offsuit, hands that I'm not necessarily raising from my position, but he would be defending with. So I actually don't think I should just be c-betting my entire range here. And when you don't c-bet your entire range, you want to keep some strong hands in your checking range. And in this case, I think pocket aces works really well because it's a hand that is not very vulnerable, right? It's not something like pocket tens, where if I check and he checks, there's a lot of overcards to come. So Pocket Aces, while it's one of your strongest hands, is also one of your best checking hands. So I do check, and he bets 100 into 160. I am not surprised by this bet. I think there's a lot of hands that he could have. You know, all the hands that interact with this board, straight draws, flush draws, pairs. You know, sometimes he's just doing it with air because he knows that this board is better for him than me. So when he bets 100, I can either check raise or I can keep trapping. And in retrospect, I actually prefer the check raise, uh, but I end up just calling and kind of laying the trap for this guy because I'm like so under repped and he's pretty aggressive. But like I said, I probably prefer the check raise because if you're going to play hands in a manner, like you're going to have a balanced checking range, you're going to want to turn a lot of that value, especially the high end value, which pocket Aces clearly is you're going to want to turn those into check raises. And so I think I kind of missed an opportunity here, uh, but I just check call and lay the trap. And the turn comes a pretty bad card for me. It's another five. So, six, six, five with two diamonds on the flop. I check call 100, and then another five shows up on the turn. And it's a bad card, I think, for two main reasons. Obviously, the first one is that if he's got a five in his hand, he beats me now. And certainly if he had a five, he would have played it like he did, right? He would have bet the flop with it. So now he's made a full house. And I think the second reason it's pretty bad is because he's going to know as a pretty sharp player that he's got the advantage with all the 6x and 5x. And I have very little of that. So he's going to be able to kind of, kind of fuck me up here. So certainly I don't think betting is good at all at this point. So I check and now he bets 200 into 360. And even though this is a far better board for him, I'm certainly not going to just fold the hand here. You know, I have pocket aces. It's way too good of a hand. And then furthermore, you know, there's still a a decent amount of bluffs that he can have, right? He could have easily been bluffing the flop with a flush draw or a straight draw or air and just known that this card is really good for him and really bad for me and continue bluffing with it. So I'm not going to give up here. So I check call the 200. The river comes probably the worst card in the deck. It's the four of diamonds. So six, six, five on the flop with two diamonds, another five on the turn, and then the four diamonds on the river. I'm left with pocket aces. And yeah, the, the four of diamonds is, is definitely the worst card because a hand like seven, eight that was bluffing got there. And then a hand like, you know, a flush draw with two diamonds in it also got there. And certainly I block some of his best flush draws because I have the ace of diamonds in my hand, but it's a pretty loose formation, right? He's going to be defending his straddle pretty wide in position against me. So he's going to have a lot of like suited combos. Like he'll have hands probably like queen deuce of diamonds and shit like that. You know, jack seven of diamonds, whatever. So now I'm kind of just left with a bluff catcher on six, six, five, five, four with my pocket aces. And I check And he thinks about it for a little bit and he goes pretty big. He goes 650 into a pot of about 750. And this was going to be a pretty tough decision if the river blanked and he fired at it. But, you know, here it's just like, I just kind of feel like I need to let the hand go. This river, like I said, was so bad because so many of the hands he could be semi bluffing with on the first two streets got there. And yeah, sometimes he's got a hand just like fucking nothing, right? He's just got like jack 10, but in the end, it doesn't matter because all the value that he would be betting beats me. And I just don't think I can make this call and over time be profitable. It's just a really, really bad spot. So sometimes you're victim of the run out. I fold the hand and I never find out what he had. Now, I really dislike the way I played this hand. I alluded to the fact that I think that not check raising the flop was a huge, huge mistake. And and the more I think about it, the more I think it is. And it's not even results oriented because the way that the board ended up running out, a check raise would have put me in a shitty spot anyways. The reality is I let this hand play me. I had a hand that was worth being aggressive with, and I just played it like a cuck. You know, I check call, check call, check fold with pocket aces, heads up. I mean, fire me into the fucking sun. There's a really, really poorly hand play, played by me. And, you know, I don't necessarily mind the check on the flop, but I think not check raising is is just an egregious mistake and just led me down a path where, you know, I didn't play the hand. The hand ended up playing me. And, uh, you know, it's not that often that you get pocket aces against a tough player. This time I feel like I kind of fucked up a, an opportunity stylistically to, to actually play my hand well. I didn't do it. So... It definitely sucks to suck, my friends. Let me tell you, from firsthand experience, that's hand one. Stay tuned for hand two. All right, hand two. This is the very next hand. So I'm fresh off of folding my aces. I got the, you know, I'm something of a fucking idiot myself meme face on me. I'm just like feeling so mad and and despondent. Like, God, how could I play this hand so fucking shitty? I'm just like super tilted. Uh, A good player, a good tough player under the gun opens to 60 and it folds around to me. And now I'm in the smallest $5 blind. I'm in the very first blind off the button. And I look down at pocket Kings, very next shuffle. I look down at pocket Kings. Now, what I think of the under-the-gun opener, like I said, he's a good player. He's a tough player. He's a very sticky player. He does not like to fold. Uh, I've seen him make big hero calls. He's a very good player, and he thinks he's a very good player. Like He definitely is the kind of guy who like thinks he's the best player at the table. I've talked to him a lot, and my impression, based on those conversations of what he thinks of me, uh, I think he respects my game, and he also think that he probably sees me as aggressive or maybe even overly aggressive. So with all that in mind, I'm going to put in the three bet. There's literally no reason that I should consider flatting and trapping preflop here. I've talked about this before, but the elements of trapping preflop are that you want to be shallow and you want to be in position. In this case, we are not shallow at five, 10, 20. We're about 2,600 effective right now. So 130 big blinds. And I'll be out of position. So I definitely want a 3-bet. He opened to 60. I 3-bet to 260. A little less than 4.5x his raise. It folds back to him and he thinks about it for a little bit and he makes the call. And I like that because, you know, I got pocket kings, bitch. Like, let's go. So the flop comes a really interesting one. It comes queen, five, deuce, all hearts. And I double check my hand and thankfully I have the king of hearts. So queen, five, deuce, all hearts. I have pocket kings with the king of hearts. And on a monochrome board like this, I'm going to want to be see bet small with basically all the hands I'm betting. Whether I have a bluff or, or even if I had ace, king of hearts and just flop the stone cold nuts, I would want to bet that for a small sizing as well. So I'm going to bet small and I bet about one third the size of the pot. I bet 175 into about 540. And he thinks about it and he makes the call. The turn comes a black eight, very safe card. Black eight should be a blank queen, five, deuce, all hearts. I have pocket Kings with the King of hearts and then a black eight on the turn. And I want to continue betting here. There are a lot of hands that he can have that he's going to be fairly sticky with. He's going to have a decent amount of queen X in his range, whether that's ace, queen, queen, jack suited, queen, 10 suited. And then he'll also have some pocket pairs you know, like pocket tens, pocket nines, hands like that, that he's not necessarily going to want to fold. So I ramp up the pressure a little bit and I bet 475 into 890. So a little more than half pot. And this sizing is very specific because what it's going to do is it's going to set up a good sized all in on the river where it's going to be a little less than the size of the pot. If he ends up calling And that's obviously going to be dependent on run out, but I want to set that up. But I also don't want to make the bet too big to where he's going to fold some of his weaker hands, right? I want him to call with, you know, pocket tens with the 10 of hearts, pocket nines with the nine of hearts. I want him to get sticky with his queen X. I don't necessarily want to blow those hands out of the water. So I bet 475 into 890 and he calls again. The river comes another very safe card. It comes a black nine. So queen five deuce, all hearts on the flop. I have pocket kings with the king of hearts, a black eight on the turn and a black nine on the river. Now the eight and the nine on the turn in the river are really good cards because they really shouldn't interact with any hand that he has unless you happen to have pocket eights with the eight of hearts or pocket nines with the nine of hearts. But most of the time he's just going to have essentially what he had on the flop. And usually that's some sort of okay made hand. Like I said, a pocket pair or a pair of queens. So, based on this player's profile, i.e., he is a guy who likes to hero call, he's very sticky, and he thinks I'm aggressive. I think a value bet here on the river is definitely in order. And it's really a matter of do I make, you know, something like a half pot size bet, something like 900 bucks? Or do I just jam for 1700 into about 1840? And in the end, I decide that I want to jam because I think my bluffs want to jam too, right? If I had something like Ace King with the Ace of Hearts, I would just want to stuff it all in here to maximize my fold equity. And I want my value sizing to really reflect what my bluffs want to do. It puts my opponents in a really tough spot if I play my value and my bluffs in the same manner exploitatively, I know that this is a pretty sick hand to go all in with because going all in is a pretty polarized move, right? But I don't necessarily have a polarized hand. Yeah, I have an overpair, but there are a lot of hands that he can have that beat me, right? He can have pocket queens. He can have pocket fives. He can have pocket deuces. He can have pocket eights. I'd expect all those hands to play in the manner that they did. He could have had the flop nut flush, right? Ace ten of hearts, Ace nine of hearts, Ace deuce of hearts. I think he'd play all those hands the same way. Would he have put in a raise at some point with a set or a made flush? Yeah, maybe. But he could also slow play them. He could also be trapping with those hands. So, you know, he can absolutely have hands that beat me here. On the flip side, though, like I said, I want my value to reflect the size of my bluffs, and this is just a guy who likes to hero call. He's not a a guy who likes to fold. He thinks I'm really aggressive. We put it all together and I say, I just got to go for it. And I decide to go all in for about 1700 into a pot of 1840. And I say all in and I don't hear the snap call. And that's really fucking good news. Like it would have been so devastating to douche this hand with the aces. And then all of a sudden get Kings the very next shuffle and stack my own ass. Like I would have just been despondent. So When he doesn't snap call, I feel really good, and he tanks for a long time, a long time. I mean, you know, two minutes, he's just going back and forth, thinking, you know, looking at his cards, putting his chip back over him, playing with his chips, all this, counts out his money, and he does make the call. I flip over my pocket kings, and they are good, and I win a big-ass pot. Love to see that. Uh, I really like the way that I played this hand. I played this hand aggressively. I played it decisively. And I think the move to go all-in on the river, like I said, it's not a real intuitive all-in because I'm making a polarized bet with a kind of non-polar hand on this kind of monochrome board texture. But in the end, I knew my player, I knew my spot, and I knew that my image you know, combined with the player type that this guy was was going to get a lot of calls by one pair of type of hands, and uh, and we got it. So congratulations to me. Allow myself to congratulate myself on this hand. Obama putting a medal on himself. Dot meme. Okay, that's hand one. Uh, okay, that's hand one and hand two. One hand that I fucked up, and one hand that I played pretty good. I have a quick little bonus hand for you. Stay tuned for that. All right, throw me a freaking bonus hand here. Hand three. Hand three starts off exactly the same way hand two does. The very same villain is under the gun. So same formation as hand two, it's like two orbits later. Same villain opens to 60 under the gun. It folds around to me just as it did before into the first blind. And I look down at queen nine of clubs. Now queen nine of clubs, definitely a playable hand. It's not a hand that I usually use as a three bet, especially at a position. I think it's a little too weak for that, but it does have some fun properties. And the best time to bluff is right after you've made some aggressive actions and shown down a big hand. So this is a great opportunity for me to do that. And I do decide to do the same thing I did with the pocket Kings and three bet to 260. Now our villain who opened it folds back to him and he does the exact same thing as before. He calls the 260 and defends in position, and we go to a flop that I like. It's queen 8-4 with one club. I have queen 9 of club, so I flop top pair, a nebulous backdoor straight draw, and a backdoor flush draw, and I do the same thing as I did before. I bet small. This is a board when you 3-bet queen 8-4 that is going to heavily favor my range as opposed to his because I'm going to have hands like pocket aces and pocket kings, uh, and he's not really going to have those hands. But because it's such a really dry board, um, it's just a board that I'm going to bet a lot on. I'm also going to bet small on it. So I do the same as I did before with the pocket kings. And I bet 175 into a pot of 540, about one third pot. The villain thinks about it. And just as he did before, he makes the call on the flop as well. The turn comes in offsuit seven. So queen eight, four on the flop. I have queen nine. And then an offsuit seven on the turn. And here's where things get different than the previous hand. Here I decide to check. Again, queen eight four, I have queen nine, and then a seven comes on the turn. The reason I decide to check is because this seven heavily favors his range as opposed to mine. And then, secondly, you know, I have a hand that doesn't necessarily just want to like pile a shitload of money into the pot with. I have top pair with basically no kick. Any queen that he'd be playing has a better kicker than mine. So it's not necessarily a hand that I just want to like shovel a bunch of money in. And especially if I were to bet and face a check raise, uh, that would be really poor for me. So I have to respect that this card is better for his range than mine. And I check. He now thinks about it and he makes a solid bet of 400 into about 890 at me. And I think this is a clear-cut call. I don't see any reason to do anything, but I still have top pair, and raising obviously makes no sense for all the reasons that continuing to bet the turn didn't make much sense. I just don't want to inflate this pot with such a marginal hand. Now, he can have me beat here, obviously. Like I said, the seven is a good card for his range. It improves hands that he would play in this manner, like eight seven suited makes two pair, five six with a backdoor made a straight, he would, I'm sure, defend pocket sevens to a bet on the flop, and then if he has a queen in his hand, like I said, he probably, he almost certainly has a better kicker than me. So there are a lot of hands that I can beat here, but, but like I said, folding to one turn bet that's less than half the size of the pot is just not in the cards for me. So I call the 400, and we go to a river, and the river comes and overcards the board. It comes a king. So I have queen nine of clubs. And the flop came Queen 8-4, then a 7 on the turn, and then a King on the river. And this King is a very, very innocuous card. It really doesn't change things at all. There are kind of no hands that he arrives here with that have a naked King in them. You know, and if he had something like King-Queen, he had me beat anyway. So the King really doesn't change anything. And I check, and it's going to be a really tough position for me if he ends up putting in a big bet on the river. Because like I said, they Numerous hands that beat me, but he's also got a decent amount of bluffs, right? On Queen Eight Four on the flop, he can have hands like seven six, seven, five suited, you know, nine ten, ten jack, jack nine suited, all these hands that have gutter straight draws and flush draws. Picked up a pair on the turn, maybe that he decided to start bluffing with all that sort of stuff. And and this is a guy who is capable and very willing to bluff. So it would have been a really tough call for me on the river. But thankfully, I don't get put in that spot. I check and he checks back. And then I know my hand is almost certainly good. I flip it over and he shakes his head and my hand is good again. He got owned. So I love doing this. You know, right after I three bet the guy with pocket kings, same situation comes up and I three bet him with queen nine. And then I think I just played this hand pretty solid throughout. I think the decision to to three bet preflop is a pretty good one considering the dynamic. See betting with top pair and then check calling the turn and, you know, being willing to put myself in a tough decision on the river, but, but trusting myself that I'd make the right decision. Fortunately, he didn't have the stones to pull the trigger and I won the pot. Love to see it. My boy got owned. So good hands to finish the podcast on. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Like I said, I'm going to make a quick announcement here. Uh, so if you want to hang out and check it out, please feel free. Otherwise, thank you guys for tuning in. All right, my friends. So my announcement is this. It's something I'm just super excited about. I'm like over the moon excited for this. This year, this summer, I am playing the World Series of Poker main event for the first time. Let's go! Uh, Super pumped. I have a really good friend, Josh, who's just a killer poker player. He's good at cash. He's good at tournaments and he's been playing the world series for several years. He's cashing it two years in a row. Last year I was an investor in him and he cashed for like 46 K. So that was pretty nice for both him and I, and this year we're taking our wives and our kids and we're getting a big ass Airbnb and we're going to be out in Vegas for like almost two weeks, just playing tournaments, probably playing some cash and just having a really good time. Uh, I'm going to play a couple other tournaments besides the main event. I'm going to play the mini main. I'll play some online stuff. I might play a couple of the smaller WSOP tournaments, depending on my bandwidth and just how things are going out there. But I'm just super excited. And and it's crazy. I mean, if you guys have listened to this podcast pretty far back, you kind of know my story where, you know, I was like a online pro for several years. I was never like a big, like multi-table tournament player. So I never like... Got out to Vegas. And over the last couple of years, I've been really getting back into poker and really making it a big part of my life. And I've also been starting a family. So I really haven't had the opportunity to go out there. And I finally just decided, you know what, man? Like I've put in so much work into my game over the last couple of years. And, you know, anybody that like considers poker a big part of their life, like the World Series of Poker is the fucking mecca, right? So I have to go. So I'm doing it. I'm super pumped and uh, it should be an awesome time. Wish me luck. Now, the main event is, as I'm sure you know, it's like a 10K buy-in and I'm looking to sell probably 50% of my action. And that's kind of what I wanted to throw out to you guys. You know, I'm going to sell the action, but I kind of wanted to give you guys, the the people who listen to this podcast and kind of like support me and interact with me and stuff, kind of first crack at it. And I'm going to throw it out uh, with no markup to you guys that, that listen to this podcast just as kind of a thank you. So uh, if you know what markup is, you'll be like, oh, that's really cool. And if you don't know what markup is, like, don't even worry about it. But I'll just throw it out there to you guys at, at a straight up cost. So I think the way I want to do it is... Uh, the minimum that you can invest is a hundred bucks. So you'd get one percent equity for a hundred bucks. And the maximum that any one person can buy is 1K 10%. So if you're interested, if you feel like having a World Series of Poker sweat, DM me on Twitter at Sammy Reed FI. Shoot me a DM, we'll work out the details, whatever. And if you've never invested in anybody in poker before, it's pretty cool to have a World Series of Poker sweat for sure you know, like I said, I invested in my buddy Josh last year and he had a pretty solid cash and that was super exciting. It was super fun, but I want to be very clear that the, the, the big caveat is that the most likely outcome is that you don't get any money back. Right. I think it's something like 11% of the field cashes. And even if I were like twice as good as the average player in that field, which I'm not right. I'm not like a, studied tournament player even though i will be doing a lot of work and study leaning up to it my average cash rate in this tournament would only be 22 percent, like one out of five times so just just wanted to throw that out there the reality is like i'm definitely an underdog to cash in the tournament but if something really cool happens and i make a deep run or even the final table it could be super super cool for all involved so like i said if you're interested shoot me a DM at Sammy Reed, FI. And, uh, either way, I'm sure I will, uh, be podcasting quite a bit about it as it happens. So that's it, my friends. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate your guys's support and until next week, my friends play good and run pure.